Today on the Topic Show, Liberty Safe Responses Roasted, Vivek's tweet on the attempted Trump ban gets 1.9 million views in 18 hours, Liberty Safe's true owners revealed to be a far leftist, Secure IT Vault company goes viral for the response to Liberty Safe situation, DeSantis on Newsmax on handling COVID, Ford increases their offer to the UAW while the UAW rejects GM's offer, Apple stock is down after the ban in China, T-Mobile is starting a dividend program, Walmart is cutting pay for online order search fulfillers, and Sherry Bolt has yet another recall. All that and much more on The Topping Show. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in today. Today's episode of The Topping Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-added reseller and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. Heck, I see their founder released twice today. Guys say he's quite handsome and brilliant. He's me, that, that's a joke. If you're an IT leader or business owner, need a little assistance, you can reach the team at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Also, we're trying to get to 4,000 subscribers by the end of September, so if you click that button, I would greatly appreciate it. Now, going over to the business part of the podcast, you have Ford increasing their offer to the United Auto Workers in a perhaps futile attempt to avoid a perhaps inevitable strike. Now, this is a massive renegotiation that happens every couple of years with the United Auto Workers with the big three. The big three being the traditional Ford, General Motors, as well as Chrysler. Granted, Chrysler is now owned by a foreign company in Europe. Now, parent company is called Stellantis. Now, Ford has some of the highest percentage of workers in the United States. GM and Stellantis, in order to make, remain competitive, they have subsequently put more and more factories in Mexico and other countries where they're much more favorable for business to give them a better ROI. Now, Ford came to the table actually a couple weeks ago, and they initially proposed a... 5% general wage increase for the first year, which I wish most Americans do not get that kind of a raise. A 3% performance bump, which I don't think the UAW is going to want to go for because they usually reward tenure more than you know performance. A 4% general wage increase for the third year. A 3% bonus lump sum for the fourth year of the fourth con- of the contract. A cost of living adjustment bonus of $6,000 for the first year. Jesus, a $2,000 bonus each year after that for a grand total of $12,000 in cost of living adjustments, which pretty darn nice. Most Americans are not getting that. They also proposed a $5,500 ratification bonus, which would go to both permanent and temporary employees for the first time ever, which is all sounds pretty damn good. But of course, it's not good enough for the UAW. Now you have UAW president... Mr. Sean Fain, who, of course, interestingly enough, I looked at their YouTube, you know, I looked at their YouTube profile. I can't help but notice they disable the comments on all of their videos. Almost as they're almost as if they're afraid to have a conversation or someone to critique their high audacious demands, perhaps. Say what you want about my opinions, but at least always keep the comment section open to get more feedback. Even though I might not agree with everything people say in the comments, always appreciate their perspective and makes the show a little bit better, I feel. Now, it looks like they've been going back and forth. Allegedly, they've actually gone to the Ford headquarters as early as 6 a.m., them being the UAW employees where they're trying to negotiate this. And it will be interesting to see Ford, in terms of, you know, Ford's relationship with the UAW, they do have one of the better ones. I mean, it's a small sample size of three companies, but this is with their Ford communications manager, Mr. Mark Turby. And he said, quote, Ford has bet on UAW more than any other company. That's just a fact. That's our values as an American company. 
we do things the right way. So we will work around the clock to try to reach a deal for our employees who deserve a good quality of life, but also allow Ford to invest and grow. Unquote. Now that that second part's uh, kind of key because Ford is in very, oh, all the big three, you know, most of all the companies are in a very precarious situation where part of the company's doing good, but overall, eh, not so great. So Ford actually divided the company, interestingly enough, into three business units. You have Ford Blue, which is the good Ford, the one that makes money. The one that makes the gold fashion F-150, the one that makes the Ford Mustang with the three pedals, manual transmission as every car should, the traditional intercombustion engine line. Now that business unit is doing phenomenal. That's what's paying for everything else. So that business is highly profitable. You have, then you have Ford Commercial, which is all for the commercial grade, of course, larger than life trucks, used for commercial usage. And then the third group is the Ford E group, which is for their EVs, appropriately named. And that's where they're dramatically losing money on everything they sell. Now, granted, long-term, like Tesla, I'm sure it'll make a profit, perhaps, but right now they're losing a lot of money on every single vehicle they sell. Now, interestingly enough, it looks like they've offered them, choice come with a, looks like their labor cost is actually a billion dollars more than GM and Stellantis. So I was gonna say that is pretty dang good already. Of course, that's just the historicals. And they also launching plans to reinvigorate their factories. And I mean, Ford, this is from the 2019 negotiation. They talked about, you know, what have we done for y'all? And they noted how Ford had succeeded job and investment commitments made in the last three UAW contracts, creating or retaining more than 5,600 additional UAW represented jobs beyond the 8,500 committed and invested 1.4 billion into UAW represented facilities beyond the 6 billion committed in 2019 contract. Ford is the lowest percentage of temporary workers in the U.S. automakers with 3% or about 1,700 converted to nearly 14,200 temporary employees to permanent roles in 2019 ahead of schedule. They also, wow, Ford actually provides benefits from day one for all hourly employees, including temporary employees. That's unprecedentedly good. Some of the most highest costs in the United States when it comes to labor and the whole balance of hourly wages versus their additional benefits in terms of you know, dental healthcare, that can sometimes be ridiculously expensive for a myriad of reasons. And it'll be interesting to see, because it is days away, will they accept it or will they go on strike? If I were to roll the dice, I'd say Ford has the best odds of not being a strike given their historical negotiation tactics with the unions and giving more than the other competition has. But it'll be interesting to see, is that enough? All these companies are in a very unusual situation where if they can successfully transform their companies into EV manufacturers, which I'm a little skeptical about their business plans and how they're going to go about getting that done, they'll inevitably need less hourly employees for the traditional UAW jobs where they're more traditionally manual labor where EVs, they're glorified computers on wheels. Also just as bad for the environment because they have e-waste and you know, really hard to recycle. But that's what people think is green and that's what the government and everyone is trying to push. So that's where the direction these companies are going. So it will be interesting to see how the negotiation goes, but I would say of all the companies, Ford has the best odds of not having a strike. I'm not sure how much they'll have to give up or give in or some I was going to say some would debate invest. I don't think that's the proper term, perhaps. But how much can they 
how much can they afford? Because again, right now, all the profits from Ford Blue, which is you know the one that's making internal combustion engines, all that's being funneled into the EV division. And they're still not profitable for the EV division. They wanted to be, but the numbers are off, of course. Because just like anything, when you start a new business, no matter what your numbers are when you budget out for cost, inevitably I always tell people, double it. Because stuff always pops up. And it's not even your fault sometimes. It's just life happens and there's costs exponentially just come out of nowhere, unfortunately. So it'll be interesting to see how the strike goes, if it happens at all. But I would say the Ford has the best odds. But we shall see. Other interesting businesses, you have Apple stock down $200 billion after China bans government use. Now, that sounds like a lot of money because it is. I mean, that's, geez, that's literally more money than most people can conceivably imagine. But that actually equated to only about 3%. So overall, not too bad. They had a 3% drop last Thursday, then a 3% drop last Wednesday. So we'll misspoke. There's a couple more. It was an aggregate. And it's one of those issues where you have several reports where China government is banning workers from using Apple's iPhones. And that's not so good. Now, it looks like specifically China's ordered officials at the central government agencies not to bring iPhones in the office or use them for work. This is according to the Wall Street Journal. They report that and they're unclear on how wide the ban is. This is perhaps some of the worst news for Apple, not only because they manufacture a lot of products there, of course, which helps them to be the most profitable technology company on the planet, bar none, but it's also because they sell a lot of iPhones there. China is Apple's third largest market and represents 18% of their yearly revenue. Specifically in 2022, that was 18% of their whole revenue. So that's why when it comes to geopolitical politics and relations with other countries, you'll notice that Tim Cook is very apolitical. If not, I would actually argue he is very accommodating towards Chinese policies and he's very accommodating towards their messaging. He is scared to death to disrupt anything with that relationship. Makes sense from a certain perspective, because again, most most of the parts of the iPhone are there, most of the assembly is happening there, and it's one of their largest markets. And I know it's cliche to say, but the market is also growing as more and more people in China, even with the economic uncertainty, and the there are issues economically in China with the Asian population, there are still people increasing in their income and starting to buy more Apple products. So it'll be interesting to see how things go from here. Granted, this is just government devices, but you never know. Will China just ban all of them just out of symbolism? Because again, there's a pseudo trade war going on right now. Well, I was gonna say not so much pseudo trade war. US and China are both having the blocking of technologies and products from each other. You have the White House administration, uh, Biden administration actually ban the import or rather the sale of AI, de AI designed semiconductors and chips to China because that makes sense from a certain perspective because that's the most advanced scary technology to a lot of people we don't know what it's going to be able to, capable of doing so and that's one of the things the chinese market lacks is semiconductor technologies the most advanced semiconductors on the planet are usually manufactured in taiwan another precarious political situation the u.s should probably do something about or do more about to protect them my three cents but it's also one of those issues where china desperately needs those semiconductors so china saw the u.s put that ban well, they're going to react with different bands on their own. So it'll be interesting. To, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, Apple is such a diverse company and granted they're probably going to grow in other countries as well. But how widespread will the ban be in China? And are they hoping Apple does something to fix the situation? Is it something 
hopefully something as simple as a miscommunication error, but it'll be interesting because the US banned Huawei, which again, that's China, basically China's Apple. They make incredibly advanced technologies by copying, so more of a copy paste and actually internal development for many parts, but US actually banned all those products in the United States for consumers, and they even ban or specifically as well as telecom communication devices because they found there was a little, little spyware hidden in there. So there's a lot of things going on with the global economy and there's a lot of uncertainties, but overall, given Apple's long-term unprecedented success rate, I figure long-term they'll be just fine. Other interesting business news, you have T-Mobile issuing the first ever dividend to the stockholders. Now, dividends are one of the most important things you can give out as a publicly traded company. There are whole ecosystems of stock reviewers, stock followers, forums, their whole community is built around just the idea of following and buying companies that pay dividends. Now, rudimentary speaking, a dividend is where, let's say I buy 10 shares of T-Mobile stock at, who knows, $3 a share, whatever they're at right now. So if they give a dividend of 20 cents per share, that means I would get 20 cents per share. So if I have three cents, or if I have, rather if I have three shares and it's 20 cents per share, that's three times, what was that? We'll do a bit, I know public schools for math, test stores at all time low. So let's see, that's 20 cents times three, that's two, four, six. 60 cents total will be given to me just for holding the stock. Now, there's an old fashioned or rather an old age old debate when it comes to paying dividends versus keeping the company inside of the company. There's a lot of people who would argue, well, if I'm holding the stock, I want it to be a long-term thing. I want to sell it eventually. I'd rather have that money go into research and development and have that reinvest in the company. On the contrast, there are other philosophies that think, well, we want to reward the people who continually hold our stock because obviously when they sell a stock, that hurts us because it brings the stock price down. So there are conflicting ideals, but it is a very attractive thing for people buying stock to see the dividends. I think that's, I think more often than not, that's what some people look for. Now, the, I'm not saying they're forced to do this, but their competition is already doing it. So you look at the telecom community, telecommunications, you have AT&T, which is a giant behemoth, of course, and you also have Verizon, another giant behemoth. T-Mobile, for the longest time, they've been the third string, so to say. And it's not that AT&T or Verizon are sure bets. I mean, their stock has dropped precipitously the past couple of years, but they've always been around, so to say. So one of the things that keeps people investing in those companies is that they keep paying dividends. Last year, in total dividends, AT&T paid out $8 billion. Now granted, that, only, that might only be a couple dollars or cents per share, but presumably people who invest in stocks, they have many shares. So over the aggregate, that adds up. Now, Verizon paid even more. They paid $11 billion in stock dividends last year, which is an astronomical amount of money. Again, I always say I'm not a financial guru and I'm definitely not giving financial advice here. I'm just saying, dang, I wish I had some of their stock perhaps. Now, just the news, just announcing, saying, hey, we're going to give out dividends. This helped T-Mobile. Their stock actually shot up 4% last Thursday. And that's because I think a lot of people are going to buy the stock just based on that one fact alone. As I said, again, there's many forums that list stocks just based on the fact that they pay dividends and they will sort it by, you know, usually the percentage of dividend paid or just the dollar amount, which one's paying the largest amount as well. Now, it looks like the company, or rather um, T-Mobile, is doing a 18 billion stock buyback program. So the company certainly believes that their stock is worth more than what's publicly trading for, presumably. So that's why they're buying it. What they see now is a discount for it to go up in the future. And it looks like they're setting aside $3.75 billion pool of cash to actually be paid out for the dividends over the next five fiscal quarters. 
So that looks like it's pretty good. Looks like the money's already set aside. They don't need to worry about that money being taken away from research and development or customer service. So it looks like the money is there and they're gonna consistently reward people for holding the stock. Because obviously you only get paid the dividends if you own the stock. Once you sell it, you know, that's gone. Now, there's a lot, there's a little bit of critique on the internet because this news is coming, you might have, you might know if you tuned in a couple days ago, this is coming after the company just laid off about 5,000 of their employees. Now, the good thing for the people working at the individual outlet stores is that for them, their jobs were more secure. Most of the jobs that were let go, unfortunately, were more of the corporate jobs. And I believe most of them were customer support. So unfortunately, those jobs have been displaced and hopefully they find gainful employment and one of the competitors, perhaps, somewhere they can utilize those skill sets that they learned when they're working at T-Mobile. Now, that was about 7% of their workforce. And I don't think that's gonna to be too detrimental or I don't think that's gonna scare off too many investors, partially because we've seen every company do this. I mean, everyone from the large, everyone from mom and pop shops to Google and Microsoft, some of the largest companies and the smallest companies, they're all doing layoffs because they're trying to get more efficient. And not all the time, but I would say many of the time, one of the issues with larger companies is that there's a lot of fat there. There's a lot of fat you could trim away. And a lot, there are many people who have jobs for the sake of having jobs. I used to work at one of the largest tech companies on the planet, and there are several instances where people just had a job for the sake of having a job. It was ridiculous to witness, and not all the too, not all too surprising because there just wasn't enough oversight, and there's just a gut of just that way too many positions that really were not needed that didn't add value to the company, which is something you need to be very strategic about when you're growing a business and maintaining a business. Is think about every single employee, how are they adding value to it, and be consistent in your evaluation because over time, some positions change, some are worth more, some are worth less. And with technology and the global economy, some things move, some positions might not make any sense to have anymore. So something they need to constantly reevaluate. And I don't think a lot of the larger companies do that. Now with all the economic uncertainty and 40 year hyperinflation, that's kind of, that's forcing companies to be more efficient because they're trying to make those dollars, which the government actually ruins by inflation, but they're trying to stretch those dollars further and further. So I think that's why we're seeing more of these layoffs. And unfortunately, I don't think we're gonna see them letting up anytime soon. Although I do hope everyone is able to find gainful employment at a new location soon. But it'll be interesting to see. I think T-Mobile will, they're off to a good path. It'll be interesting to see, can they ever overtake the bulkiness of Ryzen AT&T? It'd take several years and a lot of good things happening for them, but most likely not, but I think they're on a good path. Other interesting business news, you have Walmart cutting pay for online order new hires. Now it looks like they're going. Those are the those are the employees you've probably seen and perhaps bumped into. Where if you're old-fashioned like me and you prefer picking out your produce to make sure there's no bruises and it's just right, you, you get the perfect best apple every time. You're someone like me. You go to the store once every couple of weeks. You pick out the best produce and you're in and out. Bang bang, you're done. Now some people who they trust employees to pick out the best fruit, not to damage them when they throw them into the baskets. They will actually order online. And that trend is exponentially increasing with all grocery stores. So Walmart had a huge hiring spree. And one of the reasons they increased the wages because it was a big boom. There you had this moment where every grocery store from Walmart to Kroger to Meyer, it seems like every single grocery store, they just started this online program. And the consumers loved it. So they're having to compete with talent as well. Now they actually increased the price for those wage or the wages rather 
in 2021. That's when their e-commerce was just soaring. And it'll be interesting to see. I can't help but think maybe they're not getting the ROI they wanted out of these orders. Because again, when you look at groceries, the margins are terrible. The margins on a grocery store are usually 2% on a good day. That's why if you look at the little business landscape, when's the last time you saw a startup open a grocery store? Yeah, it, it really doesn't happen. It's pretty much everything these days is everything as a service. Technology is always booming, but I digress. Getting back to the grocery stores, they're razor thin margins. So yes, why we have a lot of hybrid stores. We have stores like Target, Walmart, where they sell things that are more durable and those products are more profitable. The goal is sometimes you lose money. A notorious loss leader would be milk. Most companies actually lose money on the milk. They put it in the back of the store every single time. So you walk past the other stuff and you buy more profitable things when you're going to get the milk. And with Walmart though, with all these online orders, perhaps they just weren't making the profit they wanted and they had to decrease the cost of the employees. And perhaps they found the role is easier than they thought. Maybe with feedback from the employees, there's a lot of what ifs that we could think about. In terms of the trend slowing down, I don't think the trend is slowing down. I mean, I've seen more and more anecdotally, I've seen every time I go to the big box mart, I can't help but see probably six to eight of those carts where you have an employee with a cart of like 12 baskets and they're going around the aisle just picking everything out. I think that's gonna be a big trend for the next, I'd say maybe 48 months. I think eventually you'll have giant warehouses and you'll just have robots doing all that for groceries in, in that regard, similar to an Amazon warehouse. But for some reason, they're not at that point yet. Granted, with produce, there's a lot more variables, keeping it fresh, temperature, what have you. And to actually cool a warehouse, be an astronomical cost. It's one of the biggest costs of a grocery store is the electric bill for those types of facilities with the actual refrigerated sections. So there's a lot more variables that go into it. And perhaps right now it's not cost efficient. But there's a lot of economists that are kind of worried. They're looking at this news. They're running about, well, 40-year hyperinflation, there's a lot of economic uncertainty. I myself, with my IT company, I know customers and prospective clients where they're actually decreasing their spend based on politics. They're uncertain on who's going to be elected in 2024. And in the United States, there are a lot of laws, a lot of rules, a lot of regulations that change from administration to administration, many of them impacting businesses. And there are some fields that are more impacted than others. But overall, there are huge implications. And I always say when it comes to business, one of the biggest killers is uncertainty. And one of the best things any politician can do is bring certainty to the market. And right now, with the, you also have the Fed with the crazy high interest rates, which they had to do because they shot us in the foot when they printed more money than ever been printed before. So they had to raise an interest rate to try to decrease the inflation they themselves created. And this, I'm not just going to say it's kind of an apolitical thing. It happened on both sides of the political aisle. But a lot of these businesses are wondering, what on earth are we going to do? So I'm not surprised Walmart is decreasing the cost of the wages. I think they're doing it to be, of course, more profitable long-term, more competitive. And I don't think this specific instance is necessarily a sign of a greater economic downfall. I think there's a lot of economic uncertainty. I don't think this specific business point is one that some of the articles are noting when I was reviewing the topic. But in terms of Walmart's growth, as well as their business strategy, I think that part of the business with the online sales is just gonna keep growing more and more because people really value the convenience. Depending on where you live, you're saving a lot of time, not just, well, not just your time, but presumably depending on what you drive, you're saving money on the gasoline or the electric if you're paying to charge your car and or paying for tolls. All those costs add up. And depending on your income level, your time is worth more or less than the cost of the fee to pay for the grocery to put that in the box and ship it to you. Or you pick it up there at the store. Dealer's choice, so to say. So it'll be interesting to see, but 
not too surprised. And I think this will just long-term help Walmart propel as they transform their business to give the consumers the best experience possible. Now, going on to the culture part of the podcast, you have Liberty Safe. They have a response to the business blunder, and it was still epically roasted. Now, a little bit of background on this, if you're just tuning into this topic for the first time, Liberty Safe is, was one of the most well-known, respected manufacturers of safes in the United States, making a high percentage of gun safes, but also having safes for everything, all your business needs. A lot of people bought them for fire suppression. We actually throw some files in there. In the United States, you have to have receipts saved for seven years if you own a business. And they're well-established, you know, great Utah-based company. Everyone trusted them. Things were, life was good. And then, dear God, it came out that one of the January 6th defendees, they had a safe. And the FBI apparently called up Liberty Safe, said, hey, uh, can you open this for us? And they acquiesced immediately. They gave him a, a code. So it turns out there's a backdoor built into all these safes, both with the old fashioned rotating combination, as well as the digital. And it gets even worse than that. Not only from security vulnerability perspective, having a master list like that is mentally vacuous to say the least, but they also acquiesce to just the smallest of asks from the government entities. In some cases, they did not even ask for a subpoena to be named. Now, traditionally, if a company had integrity, Liberty Safe would only give up that data if they actually had a warrant or a subpoena issued right to them saying, hey, you, Liberty Safe, must give this over by order of a judge. Now, granted, the United States pretty much bends over giving the judges whatever they want these days when it comes to working against the citizens, kind of like a FISA warrant. They designed, they died like six in the past decades. That's the committee that's actually supposed to protect your privacy where the government goes to this court, they say, hey, we want to spy on this person, say yes or no, and they overwhelmingly say, it's like 99.99% say yes. Another issue for another time. So Larry Save acquiesced in two regards and it went viral. And it's one of those issues where when a company goes viral and they traditionally haven't, it's usually really good or more, I would say more often than not, it's really bad. Kind of like this podcast. I couldn't help but notice I got a video, I got a lot of views. I got, oh, that's great. And there's a Jargon, Jeff, oh, Jeff Gaffigan. Who's that? Yeah, I think that was that interview. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. Record number of views. What are people saying? Oh, dear God. A lot of critique on that video. Granted, I learned a little bit from the critiques, and that's how I helped the channel grow and develop, as well as myself grow and develop. So it was appreciated. But then, of course, you have maybe 20% just saying you suck. I'm like, well, that's not very quantifiable. It doesn't really help me improve my research or my perspective. But thanks for tuning in. So nevertheless, going back to Liberty Safe. So that original statement where they said, oh, yeah, you know, we're going to acquiesce, you know, this is what happened. That's up to 17.4 million views where they said, oh, yeah, we were contacted by the FBI. We gave them the access code. So for a company that, again, they have very few followers on Twitter. Now, X, granted, I'm not one to brag. I think I have 230. You can still follow me, though, at N-I-C-T-O-P-P-I-N-G. Yes, just like pizza. And it looks like the response, well, it... It didn't do so well. So I'm going to read their response. And the reactions, of course, are, as you would expect, they roasted them. Now, actually, they have so much content they tried to put on three pages. Quite ambitious, Liberty Safe. Now, this is, this is Liberty Safe's commitment to customer choice. Okay. Quote, at Liberty Safe, we are dedicated to safeguarding the rights and privacy of all our customers. It is a promise that remains deeply personal to all our employees and leadership. 
Our company, one of America's oldest and largest safe manufacturers, was founded on the belief that Americans should have the fundamental right to protect and safeguard their valuables and property. As, as a courtesy to our customers, Liberty Safe has long adhered to an industry standard by maintaining a secure, da secure database of factory set combinations. This practice helps customers regain access to their safe for a wide range of reasons, including loss of the original combination, service requests, and warranty issues. Liberty Safe processes over 4,000 requests of this type annually and provides a combination to safe owners only once they provide clear documentation of their identity and their ownership of the safe. We listen to our customers and update our products and policies in response to their evolving needs. Today, we are announcing a change that empowers our customers and with greater control over their information. Effective immediately, existing customers can visit www.LibertySafe.com pages slash combination dash removal and fill out the form to have their records of their access codes expunged. In this coming weeks, we will release a feature that gives every new customer this option when registering the safe. This change allows for customers to take control of how their information is stored and protected. We understand that many of our customers are willing to assume the responsibility of safeguarding their own combination, while those who opt out of our data storage process will have limited recourse in case of lost combination. We respect their choice and are here to support them in the way that's best for them. We have also reviewed our policies around cooperation with law enforcement. Going forward, we will require a subpoena that legally compels Liberty Safe to supply access codes, but can, can only do so if these codes exist in our system. Our mission is to protect what matters most to our customers. Whether it be valuables or privacy, it's our pledge to continue to make excellent products that serve gun owners everywhere." Unquote. Ow. Uh, I, I rolled my eye back so hard in my head. It almost hurt because all these, it's almost like a political statement. So much BS. And again, one of the biggest issues of, they say it's a secure database. My company does IT security. I can tell you right now, this company does not take IT security seriously. Now, it's one of those things where, just think about it from a security perspective, what if a hacker goes after Liberty Safe? They break into their system, pretty darn easy, and they find a huge database of all the safes, all the accommodations. Oh yeah, they have the owner's information, the addresses. So now they don't even have to try, they just break down the door of the house and they have the combination and just break up. They don't even have to break open the safe, they open the safe. So that's one of the dumbest policies I've ever heard. And now they're going to require legal documentation for the government instead of just acquiescing to someone asking on the phone. Because again, there are a couple of unverified instances where this happened, but there's more and more people coming up saying this this situation happened where they gave over the codes without an actual subpoena naming them. Ridiculous. Morally vacuous? I'd say so. Against the consumers? Yeah, obviously. Now, in just one day, that tweet got 2.9 million views. And three and it did get some likes, presumably by feds. It got 3,971 likes. Now, that gives you a ratio of 0.14%. Perhaps there's mostly feds and then eight people that believe them. Which again, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. A wise man once said. Now, looks like the top responses were, of course, highly entertaining and accurate. Now, this one comes from Mostly Peaceful Meme. We actually had a text and a meme. The text, the meme was a gal going like, 
apparently for some Disney show. And it said, quote, we will totally delete your data and not give it to the feds anymore, unquote. And it got 72.3 thousand views and 6,576 likes. That's one of the best ratios on the planet. Or Trump might say, the best ratio on the planet, bar none. That's 9.1%. No one even comes close to that. I'm sorry, I just felt compelled to give you a fun little vocal impression of the day. Now, that is astronomically a great ratio. Now, it looks like someone by the name of Not K said, quote, the answer Liberty Safe should have given is give the customer the manager code so the customer can change it. Therefore, the FBI and Liberty Safe no longer has access anymore to the safe. Unquote. Damn good point. That got 40,500 likes and 900 and, or sorry, 40,500 views and 970 likes. So pretty good ratio going down a little bit to 2.4%. I also have someone by the name of Grummy saying, quote, it's too late for this. Too many cases, too many companies. It's time to stand firm now and end the inch by inch betrayal of our freedoms through boycott and closing of this company. That person got 62,000 views. And apologies, I did not get the likes at the time. So now it's up to 71.2 thousand views and 3,903 likes, which quite compelling. He has to have a person by the name of a cheap Trumpster saying, quote, you betrayed your customer base, unquote. They got 4,363 views and 315 likes, given the ratio of 7.2%. Pretty darn good, I would say. And it's one of those instances where if you sell a product that's primarily overwhelmingly used for firearms, most of the people buying them believe in the Second Amendment, presumably, unless they're the fudsters or the, the fools who acquiesce to the idea of, oh yeah, you only need a hunting rifle. They'll never take that from me. Morons. Mentally vacuous fools not realizing if they ever read a history book, they realize if you give them an inch, if you give them a mile, and in the United States alone, you've seen them erode the Second Amendment by slowly, slowly chiseling it away and decreasing the way, the ways and amount you're able to protect yourself. But one would think if you're catering towards that market, you would have the same ideals and philosophies about the Constitution, the Bill of Rights. But unfortunately, that is not the case. Although, I don't think too many people should be too surprised given where this company's come from. Now, other interesting culture news, going back to Liberty Safe, turns out they're liberally owned and they donated to Democrats and they have an ESG policy, because of course. Which, of course, if the business blunder of the, well, I was gonna say, if the year goes to Bud Light, bar none, but this business blunder of giving the codes without even being compelled to by law to do so to government entities, if that wasn't bad enough, and building a backdoor for anyone to use, if that isn't bad enough, well, it turns out, yeah, they perhaps did that intentionally because they were not on your side all along. Now, it looks like they actually owned, they sold out, unfortunately, in 2021, as unfortunately companies do from time to time. Now, it looks like the purchase, the company that purchased them was by the name of Mono. Monomani Capital Partners. Can't but think, are they a parody of Monopoly? Maybe they all wear top hats. I'd only presume that might be true because it's a fancy East Coast company. So it looks like they're a liberal East Coast investment firm 
And thanks to Charlie Kirk, he actually pulled the FEC reports on the company and found that approximately $400,000 or the last 10 cycles of max donations to Democrats, including Raphael Warnock, John Fetterman, Melinda Barnes, and Mark Kelly, to name a few. It looks like Liberty Safe current CEO, Justin Hillenbrad, was a founding member of Monomami, Monomami, and had donated $4,600 to Obama for America. Which, again, there's an ironic pun you see at gun stores that actually have stickers, because bumper stickers, people love them for some reason. And one of the most popular ones I remember from the 2008 era elections was, it was one of Barack Obama, and it said, gun dealer of the year, guns, rather, gun salesman of the year. That was a time when there were more guns sold, not in history, not in, I'd say in modern history, in terms of the past 20 years. It was a huge spike in sales because everyone was worried about bans and presumably, and of course, you know, more restrictions to come. And it's one of those things where, yeah, you're donating to the, you're donating to the party that overwhelmingly wants to ban the product that you're selling a product to support. Because, spoiler alert, if you ban guns, you don't need gun safes. And again, I know people use them for different things, but that's their main market. So why this holding company, why the, or not holding company, why this capital investment firm bought the company is beyond me. And it looks like it just gets worse from there. And it shows even more donations. So you had Tim Ryan from Ohio, Maggie for New Hampshire, Susan Wild for Congress, Annie Gregg for Congress, Steve Irwin for Congress. I thought he died of a stingray accident. Crikey. It's joking. Obviously. Well, these days, not so obviously, perhaps. So they overwhelmingly sold out. And on Twitter, this was posted by a gentleman, and it got quite a lot of attention. It got 16,400 views, 900 or 790 likes in 13 hours, giving it a ratio of 4.32%. Top responses coming from Lori Marie, saying, quote, follow the money. She got 60 views and 4 likes, giving her an evil ratio of 6.66%. Yes, I have a gentleman by the name of James Palmer saying, yep, 400000 over the limit donations to Democrat gun grabbers, unquote. He got 107 likes and, or sorry, 107 views and six likes, giving a ratio of 5.61%. I also have JCP on the Twitter who said, quote, thanks for the info. I'm sure most of us had no idea. I sure didn't. That, that quote got 145 views and five likes, giving a ratio of 3.44%, which... Yeah, that's, that's pretty darn good. And Charlie Kirk, with the original data he posted, in one, no, I'm sorry, in two days, that got 2.1 million views. Astronomical. And 33.3 thousand 30, likes. That's astonishingly successful. And you also have the top responses to Charlie Kirk's post. You have Lashana Love, Deplorable, Madagascan Listless. Say that 12 times in a row. She says, quote, and this is how they're coming for your guns. Things have a funny way of working out, unquote. She got 15.4 thousand views and 522 likes. Pretty darn impressive. And it looks like you have somebody named Chris Malchick saying, quote, conservatives are going are quickly going from boycott to a cancel culture mob. Interesting. The company responded and is making changes that people are asking for. If you don't allow people to make make a change after your mistake, you're stifling progress and support conservative ideas. 
and support for conservative ideas. Supporting Dems is not a reason to boycott a company. Unconstitutional policies is, but give them an opportunity to make the appropriate changes first. Unquote. Interesting perspective. He did get 942 views with that response tweet, which, again, it's more than I normally get. And I think, I think people are less concerned about donating to Democrats. That is a component of this for sure. But I think the main issue is just the betrayal of trust where not only were they giving these codes away just by a simple phone call from the government, but they built in a back door. You might as well not have a safe at that point. That's like selling a house and just you give the key to the house to, to the new owner and say, oh yeah, by the way, I have you know 100 more copies of the keys. I just kind of threw them all in the neighborhood. I hope, that, I hope that's okay. It's like, no, that would never be acceptable. It's basically a, a pseudo safe. It's a glorified fire retardant box. I wouldn't count on the locking mechanism to say the least. So that was one negative, or I should say one comment that I disagreed with Charlie Kirk. And you also have somebody by the name of Ryan Waleski saying, quote, interesting and clear reason to boycott. Don't invest in Democrat companies that discriminate politically, unquote. Got 18,200 views and 412 likes. So pretty good. You also have a, a reoccurring gentleman. You have LJGN saying, quote, great investigative work. You've shown that Liberty is another lip service company when it comes to Second Amendment. Just like Black Rifle Coffee, they presented themselves quite differently than how upper management behaves. For example, donating money to candidates and political parties antagonistic to the Second Amendment, unquote. And I'd have to do more fact checking on that. I... I'm not sure about the Black Rifle Coffee political donations. I see he tries to explain it by another follow-up tweet saying, quote, the leadership of Black Rifle Coffee are Democrat contributors. They are basically woke. They exploit the image of Black Rifle Coffee, but just like Liberty Safe, it is a mask. So perhaps I need to do a little investigation into it at another time. Most of the comments to that are pretty much kind of 50-50. Yeah, right. Don't believe it. Show the receipts. Someone saying, not surprised. So a little bit of mixed in that regard. But in terms of the safe company making a comeback, I, I would say, I don't see it happening. There are, there's not an exponential amount of competitors like you see in the Bud Light instance where the competition is right there. It's a, it tastes all about the same with the cheap light beer. Granted, I'm a connoisseur. I prefer spirit when the occasion calls for it, but when it comes to the safes, it's a much more strategic sale. Most of them are, I would say many of the sales are done through dealerships who represent multiple brands. So the competition is close in terms of they might be in the same building. So that might lead to more sales losses. But it'll be interesting to see the frequency of how quickly the sales go down. I have the same instance or same question with Best Buy with a boycott where they actually discriminate against people with religious faith. Well, I should specify specifically Catholics and Christians. They seem to be the only group you're allowed to discriminate in the United States, disgustingly enough, people allow that. But because the items you purchase there are not, they're not perishable, like Bud Light, where it'll go bad if it's on a shelf and you go to a grocery store, you know, twice a month or maybe once a week. It's one of those instances where with a safe, people are buying a safe. I mean, Liberty Safes, I think they start at like, if you have the standalone safe at like $1,100, they go up to like 20 grand. It's like a Porsche. You could customize it however you want based on the, you know, a myriad of things from the thickness of the steel to the hours that it's ready for fire suppression, fire 
um, resistance, the type of combination, materials, color, yada, yada, yada. With those types of long-term sales cycles, you have people saving up for years, including myself. I, I'm glad I didn't go with Liberty Safe now that this news has come out. But how quickly will we see the sales dry up or drop precipitously? Will it be weeks, months? And how much cash do they have in reserves to get over this? With such a large, and again, the competition is fierce. They do have, there's a lot of great competitors who make Made in the USA safes and do not have these types of back doors and do not have these types of policies where they acquiesce to law enforcement without even, without even legal paperwork compelling them to do it. That's, they didn't even do the bare minimum, which is a sign that they are just not meant, not just, well, I was gonna say they're mentally vacuous or empty. They knew what they were doing, I suspect, because it seemed like they had a relationship with the FBI specifically as well. There are many instances of reports where they said, oh yeah, they just gave us a call, you know, and gave up the code, not really compelling them to do it. Kind of like they were just buddy buddies. And given the background of, you know, who owns the company, and it is unfortunate they sold out in 2021. I really wish they didn't. I don't know if these policies date back, you know, 10 years, 10 weeks. I suspect that will come out with further investigation. But it's one of those instances where I just got to say with Liberty Safes, I'd say, let me know in the comments, would you ever buy one again? Does this affect your perception of the company? Will you ever entertain a purchase of one? And if you did, you're you going to swap out the locking mechanism for a third party, AKA a different manufacturer. It'll be interesting to see. I'd love to hear what you have to say though. Other interesting cultural news, building upon the Liberty Safe, you have Secure It going viral because they have integrity unlike Liberty Safe. Now, on the top of this Twitter article, or not, I was gonna say article, it's a tweet, or nowadays it's just a post, and I, it's not even Twitter, it's X, so. I have a lot of catching up to do, apparently. I'm sure everyone will eventually refer to it to X or something, but branding and rebranding takes time. Nevertheless, Secure It went on the Twitter or the X and they said, quote, we firmly believe in our customers' rights and freedom to control their personal property, unquote. And under that quote, they came out with a graphic where, you know, it's got the cool logo at the top and they have some text. The text reads, quote, recently Secure IT was made aware of and asked to comment on the situation involving the FBI and a well-known safe manufacturer. The FBI requested the access codes to the safe of an individual for whom they had a warrant to search a property. The company protocol is to provide their access codes to law enforcement if the warrant grants them access to the property. It is secure IT's belief and protocol that the protection of personal property and Second Amendment rights of American citizens are paramount. Our full line of fast access modular safes are not built with any override system giving our customers full control. The freedom and the repossessed firearms is the right of every American citizen. Secure IT always puts the rights of our current and future customers first, unquote. So it looks like a lot of people are happy about this news because again, it's one of those instances where, why have the data? There's no compelling reason. And even have people who call Liberty Safe, where Liberty Safe, instead of giving them the code that they have, they told them to call a locksmith. Thereby defeating the whole purpose of having, or defeating the purpose they claim that they kept the codes for. Now, the reaction to this secure it, and again, I'm not, not to be pejorative about the account, but they're a smaller account on the Twitter, 
or on X, they have 12.9 thousand followers, which infinitely better than my social sphere. So they got 12.9 followers, which makes it even more impressive the number of views they got. In one day, they got to this post that they put out, I was about to say tweet, they got 1.2 million views, which is astronomically successful, literally going viral. And they got 15.6 thousand likes. So not the best ratio, but still pretty good at 1.3%. Now, the responses were, as you suspect, overwhelmingly supportive. You have the quartering saying, quote, I just canceled my order on a Lincoln 50. What do you have that compares, unquote? The Lincoln 50 being a model of Liberty Safes, or perhaps I should say a previous model of what used to be Liberty Safes. Now, the quartering's response got 27.7 thousand views and 721 likes. Pretty darn good, 2.6% ratio. You also have some by the name of Brian Hoskinshit saying, quote, based, this is how a competitor should capitalize on the situation, unquote. He got 23.8 thousand views and 1,331 likes. That is quite impressive coming in at a 5.59% like ratio. Pretty impressive. You also have a gentleman by the name of Rath. This person said, quote, well, looking at Liberty to pick up in March, or sorry, was looking at a Liberty to pick up a in March as a safe upgrade. Now I think I'll be going with you, unquote. This person got 14,000 views and 221 likes, given the ratio of 1.57%. Pretty good. And that person perhaps saying what everyone else is thinking. For years, people are thinking, will I be able to afford a Liberty safe that costs, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, twelve, twenty grand? As you're working with the online custom builder, making it just right for you, saving up week after week, paycheck after paycheck to someday get that to that level of getting one of those luxury, you know, high-end safes. And all of a sudden, that goes vanished. You're gonna go look at maybe a Knox, a Fort Knox safe, maybe a secure it safe. There are plenty of competitors, and then thankfully there are some competitors that make safes still in the United States and who have some great quality. They also have fire resistant capabilities. They also have thick gauge steel, similar features, put carpet in it, put lights, what have you. So it'll be interesting to see how this company does. I can't help but think, secure it. What's this gonna do to their sales? Maybe 20% sales bump, 30%, 40%. When it comes to the Bud Light business blunder of the century, you have the competitors increasing their sales between I think it was between 10 and 23%. Yaling consistently gained about 20% more sales this year, going by week by week sales, compared to the same fiscal week last year. Pretty damn impressive. I can't help but think we're gonna see a similar situation when it comes to these safe manufacturers. I mean, the only really question there is, is will Liberty Safe make it out the other end? I can't help but think Magic 8 Ball would say for Liberty Safes, or perhaps we need to we need to rename that. Not Liberty Safe. Something tyrannical safes. Unlock lockless safes. Let me know in the comments. What's a better term? What's a better name that they should rebrand themselves so they more accurately represent what they stand for? Let me know in the comments. Let's see what we can come up with together. Now going on to the political part of the podcast, you have Vivek Ramaswamy's tweet on the forces trying to ban Trump for running getting 1.9 million views in 18 hours, which is astronomical. Now, 
I will say this is a little caveat, and I appreciate the feedback of the comments. A couple days ago, someone said, you know, Topping, are you aware that you can actually buy views and likes on many social media platforms? I said, yes, that is true. I've done a little bit of research on that. I know there are certain providers, but long-term, it is usually not prudent because it artificially skews your numbers and the parent companies always catch you. So it could very well be happening right now. I don't think that would be a long-term successful plan for Vivek because again, this is a long race. The election is still, relatively speaking, a long way away. If you were to artificially boost his numbers, with a unethical means, I would have guessed strategically it'd be more towards the, you know, maybe October next year. Because again, most of these technologies are eventually detectable, very similar to cybersecurity in this old cat and mouse game, trying to make sure only the right tweets are shown and only real followers are going. And when it comes to most social media platforms, it's very easy for you to artificially change the view count. It's much more difficult to change and artificially replicate comments. So that's why I always say a really good way to see if a video has a lot of authentic views is look at the ratio of how many people are commenting on the video. This stands true for most platforms, whether it be YouTube, Rumble, or Twitter, now X. The more I research how to check out channels, the more I find that is a good rule of thumb for now. Again, with ChatGDP and all these other AI technologies, we might get to the point where it's very easy to replicate comments as well. Only time shall tell how that evolves and you know how all these parent companies try to combat that. So I will say that as a caveat, that could be true for Vivek, but with the data I have right now, I think more likely it is true he is getting these amount of views or impressions as they would say on Twitter X. Now, it is a little bit lengthy, but going to his statement, and I was gonna say, unlike Trump, he doesn't really have a good accent or like an accent that you can um, parody. So you won't, you won't get to hear me butcher an accent during this part of the show. I, I'm sorry. I, I wish I, I wish there's something I could do for you, but you'll just have to hear my mixed, I was going to say, Midwest Southern accent and be content for now. So this is from Vivek, and he says, quote, Having tried just about every trick in the book to eliminate President Trump for running in this election, the left is now deploying a new tactic to bar him from ever holding office again, the 14th Amendment. As someone who is now polling in second or third place in most major national polls, I would be able to more easily win this GOP primary if Trump were eliminated from the competition. But that's not how I want to succeed. I stand on principles over politics, which is why I am sharing the following viewpoint, despite the fact that Trump is one of my opponents in this primary. Section 3 of the 14th Amendment states that any person who has been, quote, previously taken an oath as an officer of the United States to support the Constitution is disqualified from holding public office if that person engaged in, another quote with quote, in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to enemies thereof. Politicized groups, uh, a quote, politicized groups are attempting to make Trump ineligible to run for president, arguing he fomented and in fact engaged in insurrection on January 6th. This is the perversion of the 14th Amendment. The 14th Amendment was the part of the, quote, Reconstruction Amendments that were ratified following the Civil War. It was passed to prohibit former Confederate military and political leaders from holding high federal or state office. These men had clearly taken part in a rebellion against the United States, the Civil War. Participants in the events of January 6th did not. And Trump, of course, was not even among them. 
This makes it all the more absurd that a left-wing group in Colorado is asking a federal court to disqualify the former president on the same grounds, arguing that his stump speeches on and before January 6th equate to rebellion against the United States. And there's another legal problem. Trump is not a former, quote, officer of the United States, as that term is used in the Constitution, meaning Section 3 does not apply. As the Supreme Court explained in Free Enterprise Fund vs. Public Company Accounting Oversight Board 2010, and, quote, officer of the United States, unquote, is someone appointed by the president to aid him in his duties under Article 2, Section 2. The term does not apply to elected officials and certainly does not to the president himself. The framers of the 14th Amendment would not, or sorry, would be shocked and appalled to see their narrow provision intended to bar former U.S. officials who switched to the Confederacy from seeking public office being weaponized by a sitting president and his political allies to prevent a former president from seeking re-election. I've said it before, I'll say it again, President Biden and his allies are engaging in election interference of the highest order. Yesterday's filing is just the latest in a string of baseless lawsuits designed to silence political opponents and swing the election for Joe Biden, this time by depriving Americans of the right to vote for the candidate of their choice. The judge assigned to this case should immediately toss it out. Our country is becoming unrecognizable to anyone who understands our Constitution, and we don't have long to fix it. Unquote. Again, if only there's more of an accent I could play around with like Trump. Oh well, that is quite a mouthful. And interestingly enough, I can't help but think he's one of maybe 12, oh, 12 people. He's one of maybe seven, eh, he's one of 12 candidates. He's one of the few candidates who've probably actually read a history book, yet alone the United States Bill of Rights Constitution. I think there actually should be tests for people in the government to actually, you know, know the foundation of the government. Can't help but think it'd be very similar to the sad stories where you, you know, go downtown in a city, you ask them, you know, what's a country that starts with a U? And, you know, they don't know. Or how many states are there? And they guess 53, some moronic number like that, where they just have no idea because either they don't care or they're not educated. Or both. The public schools, though, they deserve more money, I'm told. So, interestingly enough, you had a couple of good responses and a couple a couple negative. But overall, I'd say overall scrolling through the comments, I'd say about 75% positive. So Better than his previous post where he was posting about social media and how to protect children from it. That was much more divisive and divided on how people viewed it in terms of the government role as well as his statements. Now, the top one was someone called Ryan R. saying, quote, Vivek constantly comes out and speaks what's on his mind. He doesn't need pollsters or analysts and PACs to coach him. He just does, unquote. Now, that person got 58.7 thousand views and 1,019 likes giving him a ratio of 1.7%. And again, all these numbers are equal. They're all taken at the 18th hour after Vivek had posted it. You also have a gentleman by the name of It's Not Rocket Science saying, quote, election interference, not even trying to hide it, unquote. This person got 3,997 views and 74 likes. Pretty good coming in at 1.96%. Now you have someone by the name of Demonica saying, quote, our country is already unrecognizable. Thank you for sharing this information, informative statement, unquote. Person got 3,130 views and 98 likes, coming in at 
You also have Alan Edwards saying, quote, I am with you 100% Vivek. Keep fighting the good fight, unquote. I was going to say, that's a good quote. He says 20.5, or rather, he got 20.5 thousand views and 394 likes. Giving a ratio of 1.92%. Pretty good. And I just like that phrase, fight the good fight. Because it is true. Now, you also have some that were a little more critical of him coming, and then some that are just kind of middle of the ground, saying from Jim Big, C, Big Jim CEO, he said, quote, you have our attention, Vivek, for 2028, unquote. That person's got 18,500 views and 264 votes, or rather likes, giving a ratio of 1.43%, which pretty darn good. Then you come in at Stephen Mike saying, quote, this feels criminal no matter your political affiliation, unquote, getting 20,000 views and 169 likes, giving a ratio of 0.85% ratioed. So pretty darn good. And in terms of the waiting for 2028, that's something I'm, kind of, I'm noticing that more and more as he's progressed through the political process, trying to win the primary. I've seen more and more of the comments and people are, there are a lot of people who really, they like his ideals and they appreciate how articulate he is with his ideals as well. But there are a lot of people who just really like Trump. That's why I suspect there's a lot of fans, a lot of, there's a lot of support, I think, around a Trump Vivek ticket. That being in case in which Trump is going for president, while Vivek is running as the vice president. Now, that's something I think more and more people are wanting. And again, with the poll numbers, and the big uncertainty is what's going to happen with Trump with all of this situation where he's being sued left and right. They're barring him. They're even some states trying to take him off the ballot. I mean, all it needs to happen is them to win once and he's in a lot of trouble. Now, in that case, right now, a lot of polls are saying DeSantis is in the front. Then maybe, then Vivek would have, I think, a bigger shot of becoming president because then it's basically him versus DeSantis. But in this case, it seems like, and again, there's a lot of uncertainty, but it seems like he's still third place. And I think there'd be a lot of support for him to go for VP. It'll be interesting to see, but in terms of that statement, it is interesting to see. And he's very clever in his positioning because this differentiates him from the Republican, all the other ones, really. Because very similar to the GOP debate, when they asked, would you pardon Trump? He was the first to raise his hand. And that got a lot of attention. That went viral. Brilliant move on the political chessboard, some might say. And it's one of those instances where he raised his hand, the competition, all the other GOP, you know, want to be, you know, they're all running for the nomination. All of those who have the aspirations sitting next, standing next to them, they hesitated. And the thing that really caught my eyes, they looked around. So they're obviously susceptible to peer pressure. They're trying to read the room, which is a cliche thing that so many politicians do. And it, you've seen this all the time where they change their positions not because in you know positions name the topic they flipped on all of them, but a lot of them were they just you know lick their finger and put it out in the air to see you know which way is the wind blowing today, what will get me more votes and I think a lot of people are really not appreciating that and I do apologize if there's a I'm trying to see I can never tell what the zoom is doing here or not the zoom rather the focus is a little bit of issues with the hardware this week and it's kind of a hit or miss to be honest so trying to see what I can do to keep it in more focus. And I'm using autofocus, but unfortunately, sometimes technology just does what it does. Or rather, it doesn't. 
other interesting political news, you have DeSantis going on Newsmax for an interview on how he handled COVID and the lockdowns. Now, granted, yes, this is probably what he, he should have been doing for, I don't know, maybe not weeks or months, but, eh, well, no, actually, yeah, he should have been doing this for a while. So, again, there's a lot of, unfortunately, there's a tragedy in Florida, so he's been a little preoccupied, so he hasn't been able to do the runs as he would have traditionally, but... For DeSantis, and this is coming from the DeSantis War Room, and yeah, it got okay. For them, it did good. It got, how many views did it get? 17,800 views in one day. Which, and then he got, he did get 461 likes. So the ratio is pretty good, 2.59%. That's a good ratio. But again, they're not getting the views. So I don't know if they need, they need to just pay more for advertising on other platforms and pay to promote some ads. I don't know, but again, I think there's like there's some good messaging, but right now it's not going viral, which cliche to say that's kind of what you need to happen when it comes to political situations. So this is the text that they have before the video. They say, quote, earlier when DeSantis enacted permanent bans on COVID lockdowns and mandates, people said, quote, oh, that's not going to happen. Those days are over, but it's happening again, unquote. And it will keep coming until those responsible for COVID authoritarianism are held responsible. As president, DeSantis will end biomedical tyranny once and for all. So that was their text above, and this is the video below. Governor, we noticed that Joe Biden is now saying that he's going to wear a mask in the White House. What brings up the question, is this whole new COVID push that seems like it's coming from the left and the administration, do you think this is in preparation for a 2024 run where Joe Biden can hide out in his basement the way he did in 2020? And tell us, let's, let's talk about little, a little bit about how you handled COVID. Okay. He, he, I'm not saying... I think he needs to work on being more personable. And that's coming from me. I'm, Lord knows I've had my socially awkward moments several times throughout my life. But just just waiting for the person to talk, he, he just looked, looked not like he's being held hostage, but he, he just looked and felt a little awkward. And again, that's something where you can hire coaches and you can, there's a lot of things he can do. I think politically speaking, you know, moving on the chessboard, I think they need to move some of those resources toward him and maybe do some, get some coaching classes around that. Cause again, you know, every one of us can improve our skill sets. I think that's something he needs to actively invest a little time in as well, which long-term should have good results. So, so first of all, Eric, we have implemented in Florida permanent protections against all those mandates. They can't force you to wear a mask. They can't make your kid wear a mask in school. They can't force you to take these shots. They can't do any of the things that we saw that were offensive. Obviously as governor, you know, I push back on all that, but in the future, and what people told me when we enacted those protections is, oh, that's not going to happen. Those days are over. But it is happening again. You have a school district in Maryland that just required N95 masks on school children. You have Biden wearing masks. They're talking, he's talking about producing another rushed vaccine that he's going to put money behind, taxpayer money behind. Who knows how they're going to be able to do that? I think they're in court now. They want to be able to reimpose mask mandates on commercial air travel. So they are going to do whatever they can get away with. They're going to use that to their advantage however they can. You know, that's why one of the things, I, I'm really the only guy running for president that talks about one of the things that I will do as president 
is we are going to bring a reckoning to the CDC, the NIH, the FDA, all these agencies that were responsible for really bad policies and lying to the American people about so many different things. Because if you don't have that reckoning, they are going to continue to try to do it again. So we've got to make it clear that what they did was wrong. What they're trying to do now in its infant stages is wrong. And we can't let this happen to our country ever again. So, pretty concise little clip that they posted up there. And truth be told, I think it has a couple good points. Now, granted, when it comes to all these pandemic things, I always tell people the same cliche thing. Ask your doctor, presumably you have a good doctor that you can trust and one that's actually competent. Those are rare, I know, but hopefully that's where you should get your, your medical advice from. When it comes to the whole mask phenomenon, it is fascinating to see articles about when they actually talk about how large or rather small all the infected molecule, all the carriers of COVID. It's like, they're so micro, so tiny that they would just go past the mask. Because again, it's just like a giant grid or rather a giant net. If you look at it under a microscope, mask is like that, but you look right there. Well, I'd say disease in many cases is like sand, so I mean, yeah, it's gonna go right through. But you look cool, some might say, and you get to signal your beliefs. Now, some and it, interesting enough, shutting down some of those agencies, who again, some of those people are literally just appointed for life, no oversight. Like most, like many government jobs, no one votes for them. They just they get them and then they just stick around, getting paid more and more and more and more of your tax dollars, presumably, presumably forever. Remember, Fauci was the highest-paid government employee. That's ridiculous. More than the president? Jeez Louise. On top of the kickbacks and the, you know, the investments he made in the pharmaceutical companies. Another topic for another time, perhaps. Now, the top responses from the DeSantis clip, we have someone by the name of CJ saying, quote, We really like to see Governor DeSantis wade into more unfriendly waters with some of these media appearances. Would be a good way to add a little juice to the campaign if he carried up some of the propagandist, or carved up some of the propagandist. That person got 166 views and three likes. Well, not a lot of likes, but a pretty good ratio of 1.33%. Or rather, 1.8%. Now, you also have another gentleman by the name of Proud Conservative saying, quote, dump Trump and join Team DeSantis. DeSantis 2024, unquote. That individual got 76 views and two likes. So, 2.36% ratio. It's pretty darn good. But the issue is... Again, not a lot of people are seeing. Not a lot of people are tuning in. And again, seven, 17,000 views, that's that's not great. Now, I would say in terms of you know social media, he's probably a little bit more viral, or they do get a little bit more views than Nikki Haley. When you look at the online views with the Twitters and what have you, with the YouTubes. But again, I think he needs to do, do something. He needs to exponentially increase the engagements he has with podcast interviewers and in this case, you know, news outlets. That's how Vivek is really thriving and growing socially online and social media. He's sitting down with pretty much every podcaster you could imagine and pretty much the biggest names in every category. Even someone like Colian Noir, who's a famous YouTuber and awesome Texan, as we all are. And he sat down and talked about segment with him for a pretty good interview. Other candidates aren't doing that. A lot of people tune into social media folks. A lot of people follow Colin Noir, especially in the Second Amendment community. That's a great way to connect with them. You're connecting with that audience. That's invaluable. In most cases, you don't even have to pay for it. It's free PR. 
it's a pretty darn good deal. So it'll be interesting to see. Let me know, what do you think of DeSantis' message? And then what do you think he needs to do to get it out more? What will it take for him to go viral on the social media? Because they do need to get more views to get that message out there. Because some messages I think are good and will resonate with other people who are looking at the Republican landscaping and thinking, who would I want to be the future president? I think he does have some differentiators with his background and he does have some success, a track record where you could actually point to, here's instances where he came across these situations. Here's exactly how he acted. So again, he needs to highlight, continue to highlight that more, I believe. But let me know in the comments, what will it take for him to really pull further ahead in the, these polls? It'll be interesting to see. But as I always say, time shall tell. Other interesting political news, you have the United Auto Workers rejecting the insulting General Motors offer, AKA a realistic offer. Now, it looks like GM's proposal included the largest four-year wage hike in decades, roughly 10%. However, that's far, more, far less than the 40% the unions are asking for and seeking. Now, I kind of debate where I put this in terms of the show. UAW is a huge political mechanism. Unions in general, I believe during 2020, was it 2020, they gave $1.8 billion in political donations. So they're a huge political movement, UAW in particular, that I suspect that was one of the reasons they got bailed out in 2009. They donated to the people who just coincidentally chose them to be bailed out when many other companies just kind of died and went away. Coincidence? No, I, I don't think so. Now, you have the UAW president, who makes a pretty penny. I've been looking at, it's very interesting how they hide data at the UAW, as well as shutting down comments. I find that kind of a sure sign that maybe their ideals are indefensible, perhaps. So those instances where there are people in the comments, and I actually spoke, well, had a conversation on YouTube with someone who actually works at a GM factory, and it was an interesting back and forth. Got to learn a little bit about his experiences. I explained to him, my perspective and what I was looking at in terms of the global automotive landscape and what you need to be competitive. And I didn't shut down those conversations. I encouraged them because I would argue I'm perhaps I'm just an old fashioned American. I actually believe I might not agree with everything you're saying, but I'll fight to the death for your right to say it, which is something every American should believe in because that's how our country was founded. But I partially digress on UAW's YouTube channel. They disable all comments on my channel, not to brag, but Comments will always remain open. The only time it's been disabled is when YouTube disabled them, which ironically was I made a YouTube video critiquing YouTube censorship, they shut down the comments. And then I had two Bud Light videos where they shut them down. Every time when I go inside the back end of YouTube studio and I select my default button of allow all comments, it immediately reverted back to disable comments. So that's something you'll always see when you tune into my show. And we'll eventually, when we get big enough, we have more uh, high enough volume of comments We'll even have a comment section on the show. So really appreciate you taking the time to comment if you have a couple of seconds to do so. Now, Sean Fain says, quote, after refusing, again, he's a UAW president, quote, after refusing to bargain in good faith for the past six weeks, only after having federal labor board charges filed against them, GM has come to the table with an insulting proposal that doesn't come close to the equitable agreement for America's auto workers, unquote. He continues to say, quote, the clock is ticking. Stop wasting our members' time. Tick tock, unquote. Now, he is certainly sensational to say the least. I would say he's, well, I was going to say, I don't think he's effective at marketing because I don't think the messaging he's putting out will actually get them the negotiating. It's not going to get them what they want, but 
he is certainly effective in marketing. He actually had a whole YouTube video where he took the offer from Stellantis, which is the global parent company behind Chrysler, as well as you know, Dodge and Jeep. He actually threw their offer in the trash bin, or if you're European, the dust bin. And so I was gonna say, imagine if GM did that to, imagine if GM did that to him. Oh, he would be crying like no tomorrow. There'd be even more protests and more strikes. The hypocrisy is all too common among them. Now, it looks like he's saying they better hurry up. And that's true. I mean, what is it? how many days until the 14th? Because that's Thursday this week. It, it, it expires on the 14th, their current contract negotiate, the contract that they have. So the clock is quite literally ticking more and more. Now, in terms of leverage, I think he has the least amount of leverage with GM and Chrysler specifically because they have the least amount of U.S.-based employees. Ford has the greatest amount of U.S.-based employees in the automotive community for the United Auto Workers. And Ford and Slantis long, uh, just got remain globally competitive. They went to Mexico and set up more shops there, which, of course, has better, not only much more cheaper labor costs, but also the government is much more less they're, they're less strict they don't have the epa trying to shut down your business over there let's just say that so it's not just that one factor but that is a factor which is why many companies choose to leave the united states unfortunately now in terms of what the uaw is asking for just to name a few they're asking for a 40 percent wage hike uh, in fairness it's over four years but it actually is a compounding so to account to 46 percent they want a cost of living increase increased retirement benefits a pension, they want a 32-hour work week, but they want to be paid 40 hours, and an end to the two-tier pay system, just to name a few. And perhaps it's just like Trump's art of the deal. You ask for everything, then you, you're willing to negotiate a couple things, but I don't know if he's playing hardball, but I'm not hearing them really coming to the table with anything less. They're asking for the, they're not just asking for the, the farm, they're asking for the, the farm and the barn and the house and everything. The whole kit and caboodle. Now, again, this is right now with the current things the UAW is proposing, it's going to cost, again, these companies $80 billion each over four years. That's a big number. Now, again, that's if they get everything they ask for. So right now, that cost is $80 billion over four years when these contracts are four-year contracts. And again, I don't think it's, there's no conceivable way they're getting everything they want. It's not going to happen. You have their competition, you have Tesla growing exponentially. They do not have a union. You have Toyota, Honda, both growing. They don't have unions either. The cost of labor and even just the 2009 statistics alone, looking at the comparison between the hourly wages of assembly line workers, they're much cheaper and more effective at Toyota and Honda. And the car's more reliable. I'm not saying every GM car is going to break down. I'm just saying statistically, the other cars will last longer. There's a reason Toyota will last a quarter of a century and a million miles. And in fairness, after the interaction with the folks in the comment section, I know, I do agree, that's partially because they use cheaper parts. Partially they have to because partially the labor is increased, so there's less money to work with. There are a lot of variables that go into the reliability of a car. Is it interestingly enough that the most the most American cars, according to cars.com, in terms of made in the USA, were Tesla? They got the top three or four positions. And then Honda and Acura, which is owned by Honda. I believe you had one more Japanese company. I think it might have been Lexus, which is owned by Toyota. And they define an American as the number of percent or the percentage of parts made in the USA as well as the assembly in the USA. I think GM wasn't there until the Corvette at I think number, what was it, number 30 out of 100? So it's one of those instances where the other companies are actually, depending on who you talk to and who you debate, 
you could say more American. They have headquarters here. They have lots of factories here. They make a lot of great cars in Kentucky over at uh, Toyota. They're I know people who consider them a Texas-based company because they moved their headquarters from California to Plano, Texas, bringing thousands of jobs, boosting the economy. So it'll be interesting to see as the clock is quite literally ticking because don't get me wrong, there's always a wise man who once said, there's no solutions, only trade-offs. It's true, if they do allow the strike, that's gonna cost GM money. It's gonna cost Chrysler money, it's gonna cost Ford money. So they could hire third party or pejoratively, I believe they're referred to as scabs, but we should think of it, what's the antithesis of a scab? What could we call them? Maybe we call them Band-Aids. That, Matt, we might have to have that trending someday on the Twitter. GM hires, GM hires Band-Aids. Because again, right, if they give them everything they want, I think it would it just handicap and kneecap the company. Because again, they're making profits now, but they also need to put that into, I would argue, two things they should be investing in right now. One, research and development before EVs. I don't think EV is a long-term, again, there are a lot of variables and technologies specifically as well, where we might have an EV car that comes out tomorrow that will last a quarter century and a million miles. That's not how the tech is today. Also not very recyclable or good for the environment in terms of being green, but they look green. So that's perception. Personally, the best ROI for the planet and you is just by a Corolla, the best-selling car in history made by Toyota. That's a million miles, quarter century, good old internal combustion engine, pretty good ROI. But these companies need to reinvest in the new technologies because that's what they want. Well, that's what the government is forcing them to do as well. And they kind of need a rainy day fund because again, you have 40-year hyperinflation and Again, that, I know it affects the workers as well. I'm not, saying they should, I'm not saying they should get anything. I'm just saying they need to think about the economic uncertainty. What if people stop buying cars? The rate of buying cars is decreasing for many reasons, partially because of the exponential increase in interest rates, which again, that's not the fault of employees or the corporate GM. I would personally blame the government for printing more money than you could possibly imagine, but that's an outside very factor that's affecting the situation right now. And in this hyper-competitive market, right now, if you believe in EVs, Tesla has an overwhelming lead on the competition, even now. I remember a couple years back, Nissan and a couple of competitors opened up a uh, Tesla and they said, dear God, we're 13 years behind us in terms of technology. So it'll be interesting to see, GM's gone bankrupt a couple times ever since Billy Durant founded the company when he combined Buick and Oldsmobile. And People think I hate uh, having an antithesis against you know certain people and the UAW. I, I just don't think it's competitive right now. And again, the competition is fierce and sales are slowing down. The competition is fierce. And I, I don't think long-term it's gonna be financially viable. So let me know in the comments, do you think will the strike come through fruition? If so, how long will it last? Gia, I mean, People think they're only trying to cut in terms of cost of the UAW. General Motors specifically, they laid off, not laid off, they bought out 5,000 people in terms of their contracts in February this year so that they can de just get rid of their positions. So instead of firing them or paying them a severance, they paid them for the remainder of their contract, to my understanding, and they let them go. That's 5,000 salary position. They're trying to cut, do cuts everywhere. And I got some people on LinkedIn actually pointed to, because I asked them, what was it? Do you think the UAW will bankrupt the companies? A lot of people point to the salaries of the CEOs. Well, that's what the shareholders agree to. They're fine with that. Otherwise, they would speak up or protest or vote it down. Also, 
they're not getting paid 20, I think someone said Mary Barr made $27 million. That's a total compensation. That's, I think it was, it was a couple million, don't get me wrong, but the rest was stock. Okay. Is that really affecting the price of the car? No, not, not really. But there are a lot of interesting variables. I'd love to know experience. If you work at maybe corporate for the UAW, or if you work on the assembly line, I'd love to hear your experiences. Let me know, do you think it's gonna happen? What other variables should I take into account for my update of this situation as it continues to evolve in this very fluid situation? It'll be interesting to see, but I really appreciate your feedback and I love having these conversations where we're both learning and it'll be interesting to see where we go from here. Now going on to the business blunder of the day. You have GM again, you have the Chevy Bolt having another recall, a car known for bursting into flames. GM quality, some might say. And another issue of trying to pivot towards EVs, which the comp GM makes a great V8 engine, which is why they reinvested $938 million into research and development into the next V8 iteration that they're developing. They make a great V8. I would say the pinnacle of GM was perhaps 2004 Corvette Z06, which only came with a six shift as every sports car should have. But when it comes to EV, they're behind the learning curve. So mistakes are going to happen as you transition the business as Miriam Barra wants and the GM, the government wants. Remember, Mary Barrow, the CEO of General Motors, she wants to be full EV by 2035. That's right around the corner in business news. TikTok. Cadillac is going to be, to her goal, 100% EV by 2030. Or sorry, yeah, 2030. That's even closer. Because again, a lot of these things takes a lot of time, a lot of research and development, and you're going to have to retool a bunch of things. Now, this vehicle was previously recalled because it burst into flames. I remember I actually went to an IT conference where there's a sign that says you're not allowed to park your car in this garage if you had a Chevy Bolt, which is perhaps a bust. Marketing A plus because a bolt is a bolt of lightning and it'll burst things into flames. So it is highly representative of the project itself, albeit hilarious and, you know, that's just silly. But it looks like this is now a voluntary recall for the charging cords because they might spark you. So it looks like it's a voluntary recall. So the good news is, and the silver lining of the situation is, it's not deadly. No one's died from this. There's no reports of anyone having major injuries. And they're noting that they have 10,000 cords, charging cords that can give users a shock. Now, apparently these are the wet Webasto charging cables and they're the ones used for certain 2022 and 2023 Chevy Bolts. Now, according to General Motors, again, there hasn't been any serious incidents or accidents and their testing determined that the shock would quote, only last 1 40th of a second, unquote. And it's just one of the things where it's long enough to scare you, but now the caveat might be, what if you have a pacemaker? Obviously there's always caveats and nuances to every situation or many situations, I should say. So it's not great, but they also noted that the Obasto charging system just isn't communicating. And the issue doesn't solely rely on the software of the cord itself. Instead, General Motors believes that the interaction between the software and the cord is causing an issue somewhere down the line. The result of which is instead of bringing a charge uh, stop to the charging when unplugging your charger, the, the electricity just continues to run and it will discharge. So if you unplug the charger, you got that in your hand, it's primed to shock you. And this is one of those issues where I spoke about when we were covering the negotiations that the big three, you know, Ford, General Motors, and Chrysler are going on with the United Auto Workers. They're slowly turning into technology companies. This is a pretty good case in point. Software is becoming paramount to these companies. And that is a whole different can of worms 
or in this case, we would say perhaps can of Wolverines. What else is it? What's a, what's the symbol of Michigan? Yeah, Wolverines. I don't know how they fit in a can, but a drum perhaps is more appropriate. Nevertheless, it's a whole different game, and they're going to have to have either people, new people with different skill sets, or they can retrain people for those positions. And it's not good for the Chevy Bolt specifically because, again, this is something that it already is the butt end of many jokes because it could literally burst into flames a couple years back. And this is something where, interestingly enough, they said they're going to kill the product, or rather they're going to stop the production of that specific nameplate and the whole brand. And then they decide they're going to bring it back and subsequently continue to make it, apparently. So a little wishy-washy on the future of the Chevy Bolt. They are getting a moderately good volume of units sold. But, again, GM is really proud of the fact that they're going EV. That You look at the commercials, where the marketing is, where the messaging is, it's all the CEO talks about. And to have, as some might say, a little egg on your face for the thing you want to be known for, that, that's got to be the business blunder of the day. Thank you, everyone, for taking the time to tune in. Again, I know it's ambitious, but we're trying to get to 4,000 subscribers by the end of September. So if you click that button, I would greatly appreciate it. Also, I really appreciate the feedback as we try to make the show better and better, slowly but surely, perhaps, getting better at my enunciation and slowing down my speech patterns, as many of you in the comments noted that was something you did not appreciate and you wanted me to work on. So that's something where we're working together to make this show better and better. Also, don't forget to tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers, heck, Tell your enemies, tell anyone and everyone, just stay safe, fight the good fight.